0: John chapter five verse one says, "Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves Him who begot also loves Him who is begotten of Him." There's a relationship that is undivisible between God and His Son, and God and us. If we say that we love Jesus Christ, then that love is expressed towards him and also towards God the Father it is indivisible by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments so the the the, the natural progression again is if you love God you it's an expression through your understanding of who Jesus Christ is and when you love God you're going to love Jesus Christ and the next expression is you're going to love one another you're going to love the brothers we're not even talking about loving your enemies yet, so don't get bummed out. We're talking about loving each other. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. Yeah, the commandments, right? The 10? No. The 600 and, and, and plus, plus the ones that they added later? No. What are the commandments of God? What is the command of God? Love. Love. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? John wants to make a distinction between us thinking that we have a relationship with God based on works that we do and, and the difference of love. This is one of my favorite examples, scriptural illustrations, when talking about love and free will and choice, going back to the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. Did you guys ever think about the Garden of Eden and what it was like? We have no idea. I think that just, you know, being able to hang out and... and I can't say it. I used to say it really lightheartedly, and I get looks, you know. Just hang out naked in a garden all day. <laughs> I got a couple. Just, you know, bear with me. It was before the fall. They didn't even realize they were naked. But anyway, it's comfortable. It's warm, tropical, or, you know, however it was. I don't really know. But it was, it was paradise. It was perfect. There was no sin in the world. There was no sin to, to dampen the day or, or until one day. And God said, listen, you guys have all this stuff. It's yours. I want to give it to you freely. We see the heart of the Father in in wanting to love us and demonstrate what love looks like to us. But there isn't really a, 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 a right representation of genuine love without what? Choice. Is there? There can't be a right demonstration of genuine love without choice. And it's by the choices that we make that we demonstrate whether we love each other, whether we love our wives or our husbands or our spouses or our children or our friends. It's by the choices that we make that we demonstrate that. Therefore, it was necessary for God to give them one choice. You guys had one job to do. It was to enjoy the fruitfulness and beautifulness of this earth that I created for you. And the one thing that I needed you not to do, to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that was the only thing that would be able to show that you were receiving and reciprocating the love that I was giving to you. People say, what is the deal with the tree? Why didn't God just have no bad trees to eat from or no rules or laws? We're talking about one. How many times did you sin yesterday? I lost track. <laughs> Especially when you're driving. There are people who didn't realize that the 215 was closed for the weekend. I I would submit that you would be saying some choice words, at least in your head, when you got on the on-ramp when there was one lane open. I know one lady that that, that we know was on it for an hour and a half. Through the span of a few exits, the flesh has a tendency (laughs) to come out when you're in situations like that. You have multiple choices. You have multiple opportunity throughout the day. All they had was one. All they had was one. But because there was one, there was able to be a revelation of, of the reciprocation of what genuine love looked like. And that's the same thing that 1 John is talking about. He says, what does God command you? What's the greatest commandments in the Bible? To love God and to love your neighbor. Who's my neighbor? You know. Let me tell you this story. (laughs) There's a guy going down to Samaria. Everybody. Love is the imperative in the Bible. When we look at the world through the lens of the Holy Spirit, we see people who are in need, who are in desperate need of a right relationship with God so that they can experience what genuine love is. And I'll tell you, before I started walking with the Lord, I thought that I understood. I had no idea. And that's the reason that I came to the place where I was broken. God allowed me to be broken so that he can show me. Like, your your opinions, Tim, your perspective is completely disoriented. It's diluted. I want to show you what real life looks like. I want to show you how genuine love is demonstrated. And then as I submitted my life to the Lord, he started to show me in waves what love looked like. His desire that I would know who he is. How that love was expressed through my life into others. And then I started to receive abundant life. You know, I was just thinking this the other day. There were times when I was a, you know, before I was a believer that I would get really depressed just about the world. It stunk, you know. I went to, I went to work just to get enough money so that I could party with my friends on the weekends. And we did a bunch of stupid stuff because we lived in Las Vegas and it was available, you know. Just stupid, stupid stuff. And as time went by, I would go on these highs and lows where I was either doing really, really good and I was fine with the way things were, and then the the next day or the next moment, I was in the the pits of despair, and I I didn't didn't know what life was about, and I didn't know who I was, and I didn't know what I wanted, and I didn't know how to express that. And as I was thinking back to this just the other day, it hit me, I have never had a low like that since I started walking with the Lord. And it wasn't something that, you know, like, like I just said, I think about every day. It's just something that I realized. Like, it, it, there wasn't a pick-yourself-up kind of mentality. Keep going. Maybe things are going to get better. Maybe you're going to meet somebody, or maybe something's going to happen. Maybe you're going to get lucky. It was like I just started to experience life, and it was consistent. Do you guys like consistency? I want to tell you something. This sounds crazy, but do you know why McDonald's was such a successful enterprise? Consistency. When you go, you know that you're not going to get the best there is out there. Can I get an amen? You know that it's not going to be the absolute worst you've ever had. But what you know you're going to get is you're going to get the same thing all the time. It's going to be consistent. And you know what to expect. And that's how my life is now. I know what to expect from the Lord. He loves me. He has good plans for me and my family. He's consistent. There isn't these huge highs and these massive, incredible lows. He's consistent in his love. And when my life is lived like that, then there's a, there's a, a representation through my life of his consistency in my life. And that's what I want for all of us. I'm sure you've experienced that to some degree. And if you haven't completely submitted yourself to the Lord or asked for him to be your savior, maybe you haven't experienced that. But that's what it's like to be a Christian. Knowing God, experiencing who he is, experiencing his love, and then allowing his love to dictate to me in my life that I need to love others and and to have a consistency throughout day-to-day doesn't mean that things don't get difficult sometimes. It just means that I don't emotionally die <laughs> like I used to. For whoever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. <laughs> Do you like that word, overcome? You know what I think when I just read those verses? I think about our world in its current situation. <laughs> Everybody worried and consumed with tomorrow and today and all the bad stuff that's happening and all the bad stuff that could be happening. And then you got these fear mongers who are saying more bad stuff is coming, whether you like it or not, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But we in our faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says we are overcomers. I don't want to be subject to this world. I don't want to think the way that this world thinks. I want to overcome the way that it thinks. And that's what God says in his word our faith does. It is overcoming the world. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the son of God. This is more of an imperative rhetorical question. And what it means is we are the only ones who are able to overcome the world. We have a couple examples of that when we get into the next section. Verse 6, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on earth, the spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. What is John talking about? He who came by water and blood. And when we talked about uh, in, earlier in the book of First John, we referenced the, in the first couple chapters how there were people who had crept in. He talks about the Antichrist or the spirit of the Antichrist. He also talks or refers to this people that we know as, he didn't call them by Name, but we know as Gnostics who were taking uh, what people believed about Jesus and changing it by saying that Jesus wasn't actually flesh and blood, he was some kind of phantom. And if Jesus was a phantom, and the thing The thing that happened on the cross was a Hollywood, you know, show, and there wasn't an actual guy who died on the cross. It was just a representation of what God wanted to do. What would that do? Well, that would mean that Jesus didn't actually die in the flesh, so his blood wasn't literally shed, which means that we're all still in our sins. And ultimately... I don't know if that was hard to follow, but the Gnostics believe ultimately that all things that were of the Spirit were good, all things that were of the flesh were bad, and if you were a Christian, you could do whatever you wanted in the flesh because it didn't matter anyway. Do you see how that could be a problem in the church? If I told you today, hey, whatever the flesh dictates for you to do today, go ahead and do it. No. No. So again, he's here talking about the water and blood, speaking of that Jesus Christ came to this earth as an actual person and died an actual death. That is a very incredible thing to try to wrap your head around. That God who created us, you look out at this beauty, we love to go up to the mountains and go camping and fishing, we look at it and oh man, God created this, this is awesome awesome this is wonderful that god allowed his son to be flesh and blood like us and to grow up to be about my age and to be crucified on the cross so that people could be reconciled to god so that people could know who he is that's radical it was a it was a cost it was it it was precious it was valuable And it was necessary. Some people believe different things about the water and the blood. Some people believe that the water and the blood, the water symbolizes Jesus' baptism. And the blood symbolizes his death. Which is fine, you know. People say, why did Jesus have to be baptized? Well, it says that uh, Jesus submitted himself in all things. Yeah, he wasn't sinful, so he didn't need to be baptized. But he went through everything else everybody else went through too just like his mother and father offered the required turtle doves by the Levitical law when he was born in the temple. Jesus fulfilled the law. And to fulfill the law, what do you have to do? You have to do the whole law. For him to be shown as righteous and perfect, what did Jesus have to do? He had to obey every commandment that everybody else had to. Therefore, no one could say, hey, Jesus, you didn't go through the same thing I did. Yeah, I did. You weren't baptized because you was, you were perfect. I did, I was baptized, and the heavens opened and said, "Well, this is my son, in whom I am well pleased." Jesus fulfilled the scripture, so that's one that's one way to look at it. There's a few other. The other that I really like, personally, we don't know exactly. A lot of people lean towards the baptism one, but the one that I really like is the water symbolized the 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 birth. How you know the babies in in the the inside the mother in this. This sack and then the, when the water breaks, there's this baptism of water and then blood. The, Jesus was born into the world and he lived his life. And then the end result was blood, his crucifixion on the cross. When the, when the centurion next to Jesus while he was on the cross stabbed him in the side, what came out? Water and blood. Signifying his Humanity. This isn't some story we believe in. It's not some myth. It's not some fairy tale. Jesus Christ came in the flesh, bled and died and was raised again. And This is the testimony that he is the Savior. Verse 9. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater, for this is the witness of God which he has testified of his Son. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. God testifies himself that Jesus Christ is the Son. If somebody on earth has a valid testimony because they say, I saw this, I experienced that, this is my testimony in a court of law, if a man can have a valid testimony, how much more God the Father a valid testimony about his Son whom he sent? And this is the testimony. This is where the emphasis of of our, our message is today, life. This is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. What do you guys think about life? What do you think about your life? Are you satisfied? If you're not satisfied, I would ask, are you submitted to God's will for your life? Because when we submit ourselves to God's will for our life, there comes genuine satisfaction. Genuine satisfaction. I've been through the most difficult times of my life never coming to a place where I was willing or ready to give up because I experienced such great satisfaction in life from knowing who God is, from receiving his love. There was one time that, you know, we haven't really talked or shared about this very much, but when Grace and I, we were in Croatia for almost eight years, and then we moved back. We moved back that first year after we came back. It was very, very difficult, probably one of the most difficult years of our life. And and that time, that, that next year and a half, we, we went through things that, that um, we didn't think that we'd ever have to go through. My parents were kind enough because they love us and because I'm very good looking. No, I'm just kidding. My, my parents were kind enough to let us move back into their house with them because we just moved back. We needed to get on our feet. We needed to save money. We are on the mission field at a very limited income. They let us move back into the house. They didn't have a lot of room, but they had a room that was available. And there we were, you know, my wife and I and our four kids in one bedroom, in an eight-by-eight eight bedroom, for six months, working a job where I was working nights, from 2 o'clock in the afternoon till 10 o'clock at night. My kids were in school. I wasn't getting to see my family. It was hard. It was very difficult. Do you know that reverse culture shock is worse than initial culture shock? If you go to a country and you have to learn their culture and learn what it's like to be there, that's very hard. You know, especially if you're there by yourself and you're having to figure everything out, you have a new language, you have a set of customs, and, and and that's what you're kind of acclimating to. It's tough. Culture shock is hard. They teach you about it in missions classes and what to expect. Do you know what's worse? Nobody taught us about reverse culture shock. Coming back to America after 10 years and everything's supposed to be the same and comfortable and nice and people are supposed to love you, but nobody knows what you're talking about. What do you mean? It's hard. We live in America. Don't you know America is the greatest country in the world? But I've been to other countries and they're nice too. But I'm not allowed to say that in America. It was so difficult. And the Lord kept bringing back, there was this time where I felt like I was, it was a day-to-day struggle to get up and keep going. And I remember there was this one time where the Lord just, just so powerfully put Psalm 42 in my heart. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. There was satisfaction in knowing who God was. The the circumstances were not ideal by any means. Especially for a guy. You guys know what I'm talking about with families? Who is supposed to provide for your family. Having to move back in with your parents when you're the one that's supposed to be taking care of them. Hard. Hard. But there was satisfaction, genuine satisfaction, because I understood who God was, and I was partaking of eternal life in that day. Not tomorrow, not after you're dead, but today is when God wants us to experience and live in eternal life. It's just that word eternal that kind of throws us off. Because as soon as we start saying definitive terms about life like eternal, we, we tend to think in the future, right? Because we are linear. But that's not what God intended when he was saying eternal. His intention was a better way that we can look at this is genuine life, abundant life, real life. This is the testimony that God has given eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the son has life and he who does not have the son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Isn't that like the ultimate benefit to being a believer in Jesus Christ? Knowing God, experiencing what love really is supposed to look like, and life. It's what the whole world wants. It's what these guys who are entrepreneurs or these CEOs—they—they—they, they, 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 historically speaking, it happens over and over and over again. They accumulate this this mass wealth. They have everything in the world. They're billionaires. They don't need anything. And then they get to the end of their life, and somebody asks them on their deathbed, "Are you satisfied?" And they always say the same thing. They say, "No." I should have done this. I should have done that. I could have done this. And they had everything. Because this this world doesn't offer us what real life is supposed to be. It's not in wealth. It's not in possessions. I would say, especially as believers, you know what the most valuable thing in life that we have, apart from a relationship with God, the most valuable thing in life that we have, is our relationships with each other. Man, that's what has real value. And for us, it's motivated out of understanding and knowing who God is. You know, this concept of life is not new. This is what God wanted for them from the very beginning. This is what God wanted for Adam and Eve. In fact, it's what they were experiencing before he said, the day that you eat of the fruit, you will surely die. And it wasn't like he clubbed him over the head and that was it. It was the process of death, the process of decay started at that moment. And at this point right now, we're all sitting in the same room. We're all blessed by the fellowship that we have with each other. But the reality is we're all dying. We're all dying. But in the midst of that death, in the midst of getting older and and pains and and our friends and family, our loved ones, seeing them pass on. In the midst of that, God says, I want to give you life and eternal life today so that we can start to live and experience what life was supposed to be like back in the garden. And we can't understand exactly how that looks like, but we do experience that life on that level. In fact, past that, God is always trying to redeem and show them what life looks like through the scriptures. In Deuteronomy, look at, let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 30. This is a beautiful uh, verse, verses about God's desire for his people, the nation of Israel and, and what he had for them. Genesis chapter 30, verse 19. I call heaven and earth as witness today against you that I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. That both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him. For he is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to give to them. Isn't that great? God says, today I've set before you life and death, and I desire, my heart is that you would choose life so that you could live and so that your descendants could live because my, my purpose for you is to live, be alive, experience life. But if you do not choose life, the opposite is death, and, and with death comes those curses that naturally come to those who are dying. This promise, this concept is transferred over the new, to the New Testament, but it's, it's the, the arrangement, the agreement has changed. Here, God is saying, Obey my law, do what I tell you to do, and you will live. In the New Testament, God says, I fulfilled the law for you. Jesus Christ, my son, lived and lived perfectly in the law, therefore. By obeying my commandments, submitting yourself to me, receiving my son, Jesus Christ, you will live. The same imperative. God wants you to live. He wants you to be blessed. And I'm not trying to come across as all Joel osteen on you. But he does. There is an element to that that is true. He wants to take care of you. He wants you to experience life. There isn't anybody here this morning that says, you know, God wants me to live, but I don't care. I want to die. That's not what our intentions are. Our intentions are to live. And God says, this is the testimony that I've given to my church. Eternal life. That's why I never want to, to come across to anybody, especially people who are non-believers, especially from up here, I don't want to come across that they're submitting themselves to God to get some kind of future award. No, listen, if you submit yourself to God and accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, the reward starts Today. Today. And maybe it doesn't look exactly how you might think it should look or, or you're telling God the things that you want and he's going to fulfill that when you do that. But the process starts with submission to God, acceptance of his son Jesus Christ, and your life. in your life you will start to experience more what real life is supposed to look like. And that's no joke. It's hard to be able to explain that But I can tell you that that is the experience of everybody who's a genuine believer in our Lord Jesus Christ that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Verse 14, now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. That's part of the process too, right? Knowing God, loving God, living receiving eternal life which means if i have eternal life now genuine life genuine love genuine life genuine knowledge of who god is then when if, if i have a genuine relationship then when i ask him to help me with certain things according to his will he's going to help me it does not mean he's going to help me get a harley or help me get a boat, or help me get a nice car. Those things are not according to the will of God. Why? Because it's the way the world thinks. It's the way the world deducts and reasons. I used to have a friendly... Uh, I used to have a friendly... I used to have a friend who would say, man, just... He was a, he was a pastor. He would say, man, just think of all the, the souls that would be saved if I had a Harley. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, you know, I'd be cruising down the road, pulling up, and they'd be like, that's a nice bike. And I'd say, yeah, Jesus gave it to me. And bam, they'd get saved, you know? He was joking, thankfully. He's not really doing too well. Pray for him. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> It's if I have a right knowledge of who God is, I'm living in a genuine love, I have a real life, a genuine life, then when I say, God, these are the things that I'm going through, this is the stuff I need help with, he genuinely says, yeah, I know, I want to help you with that. I'm going to answer. These are your petitions. This is what you're going through. In fact, you know, sometimes he waits for us to ask. We don't say, hey, how come you haven't given it to me? I don't need to ask. You know everything. Well, you know, you have not because you ask not. I want my kids to ask me. I want them to petition their father so that there can be a genuine response. Yes, you can have some gummy snacks. Verse 16, if anyone sees his brother sinning, a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask, and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. So there's petitions towards life that we can give to God. God, I'm asking you for these things. And one of the most important things that we can ask God for are the the relationships of others that we have. I'll never forget. There was a time that I was struggling in the very beginning of my walk with the Lord. I was struggling with some things in my life, and I was complaining a lot and asking, "How come God's not taking care of me and doing certain things?" And I went and visited this godly couple, this man and this woman, who I knew were Christians, and I always just a baby, baby, come into the faith, asking them, "Like this is what's happening, and that's what's happening, and this is about me, me, my moo, You know, everything was about me. And and I never, never forget. She looked at me and she said, "You need to stop praying for yourself and start." Praying for others that will maybe get you into perspective about what's really going on right now because you're being kind of selfish. I'm like, that's not a nice thing to say, <laughs> but it's true. When God says, I give you direct access to me to ask anything you want, right? And we say, Oh, this is gonna be good. What can I get, you know? What can God do for me? Ask not what God can do for you, (laughs) but what you can do for your brother. If you see you have this access to God and you see a brother or sister struggling with sin or otherwise, that's one of the most privileged opportunities we have to go to the Father. God, I want to lift up my brother to you. I want to lift my sister up to you. I want to pray for this sin that they're struggling with. And they you know we're not going to go into the whole sin leading to death and sin you know the the sin leading to death and the different categories of sin because we're already almost out of time but the sin leading to death in a nutshell would be sins that could result in your death literal death you're doing things and submitting yourselves in situations that you could die from He will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. This is sin leading to death. I do not say that we should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin and there is sin not leading to death. Let's be aware that our relationship with God today is just as much for those who are around us as it is for us ourselves. Does that make sense? Pray for somebody that you know struggling. Pray for somebody who you know is, is doing things that they shouldn't do and you love them and you're petitioning God. And you know what? That falls into the category of God's will because his word says that he does not delight in the death of the ungodly but that, that all would come to repentance. He doesn't delight in that. And when we agree with him, then he's able to move and work in people's lives in miraculous ways. I can't count or explain to you how many times I've seen this happen. Verse 18, we know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. This gives us confidence as Christians. Do you know there's people who call themselves Christians who are all about the spiritual realm, which is, you know, we, we're in a spiritual battle. But all they want to talk about is the devil and demons and and uh, the, the spirits that invoke themselves on onto our lives and stuff like that. You know, the, the, the word wants to make it very clear, as we saw in the last chapter. He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. We know that whoever is born of God is not sin, and the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one, but we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding that we may know him who is true and that w- and we are in him who is true. You know, there's people, I would have these, these. I remember I told you I like to debate before. I'd have these debates with Christians about whether a believer could be possessed by an evil spirit. There's actually people who call themselves Christians that believe this is possible. This is not possible. It's not possible for you to be the, the house, the dwelling place, the temple of the Spirit of God, and for an evil spirit to come and live alongside of an evil spirit, or the Spirit of God, rather. It's not possible. You don't have to worry about it as much. God is protecting us as the church against the enemy. Do you know who's under the sway of the enemy? Not so much you and I as much as the flesh is in my life, but the world is under the sway of the enemy. They're the ones who are influenced by him way more than I'm going to be influenced by him, if I can say that, you know, with some degree of of understanding because God has has sh- taken care of and chosen and protected my relationship with him. He's jealous for those who are in his family. He's jealous for those that he loves. And he's not going to let somebody come in and start ripping us off. We need to be careful. We read earlier also that we need to test the spirits to make sure that the, it is not a spirit of the Antichrist or the opposite of Jesus Christ or a different Messiah focus. But we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding that we may know Him who is true and we in Him who is true. Do you guys ever call somebody before? And when they pick up the phone or when somebody calls you, especially back before we had these mobile telephones? You had regular, you know, when I was growing up, we had a rotary phone at one point. I'm not kidding. I remember, right? We had a rotary phone. And sometimes, or even now, you see who's calling you, you pick up the phone. Like, I like to answer Grace's phone. Maybe some of you have experienced this sometimes. Somebody's calling Grace, and I'm like, hello. (laughs) They're like, is Grace there? Yes, obviously, I'm here. I'm talking to you. Like, no, seriously, I want to talk to Grace. Why would you think that I am not Grace? This is ridiculous. And then I hand the phone to her. Just, act, just keep talking. Just act like it's you. Say hey, it was you the whole time. How does that other person know that, that it wasn't Grace? How do they know? Because they know who she is. Now, if a telemarketer calls, I do that, too, on Grace. Hello? Is Grace there? This is her. Well, I have to speak to you about an offer. You've received a free crew. Thank you so much. Can you send me the information? They don't know if it's her or not. They just know some weirdo's on the other line. Sounds like a guy, talks like a girl, but nowadays you can't ask, so who knows? That's the emphasis that John is trying to get across. Hey, listen, we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding that we may know Him who is true. Is there some kind of motivation or some kind of spirit in your life that's telling you this is what you should be doing? Actually, no, that's not the voice of God. Because I know the voice of God. He speaks to me. He shows me who he is. He shows me his heart. The Lord does not want me to run into this person on the freeway. Even though I feel that's how I'm being influenced right now. Because God instructs me to love others, not to crash into them. We are in him who is true and in his his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols. The focus always being, always, this is the most important thing. The focus always is our relationship with God. What is an idol? An idol is something that takes the place or puts itself in front of our relationship with God. It's something that we would give more time and energy to or have relationship in and with than with God. And it's hard, but it happens sometimes where this is a possibility. We can make idols out of a lot of things. We can make idols out of our career. We can make idols out of our family. We can make idols out of our sports car, etc., What is it those things that want to take the place of our right relationship that God has given us through His Son, Jesus Christ? Little children, keep yourself from idols. This is, you know, I know that a lot of this stuff has been repetitive over the last, you know, couple months as we've been doing the relaunch and looking at our vision as a church, but this really is the heart of our church, that we really would experience and know God more on a day-to-day basis. That's what our passion would be. That's what our desire would be. And it would lead to a a love for him that we've never experienced before. And it would spill out into the relationships that we have around us. And that we would experience eternal life, genuine life, today, which is how God intended it. And it makes me happy. And the reason that some of this stuff has been kind of repetitive, especially in love, is because sometimes we don't really get it. We just think we're going to church because that's what we need to do. That's what we're supposed to do. But it's not. And so we have opportunity to love each other. So we have opportunity to know God on a greater level than we ever have before. And we're able to see the fulfillment of what eternal life looks like today. In Jesus' name, let's pray. God, thank you for life. Thank you that we may not have much, we may not have many things, we may not have what we think we need or we want, but we have you. Honestly, we have satisfaction in knowing our Father, the one who created us, the one who created the heavens and the earth, the one who loves us and pursued us with a, with a passionate love. God, thank you for revealing yourself to us through your word. Thank you for continuing to reveal yourself to us. God, help us to be obedient, especially in the most practical application that you've given us through 1 John. Help us, Lord, to love each other. Those today, here, right now, in our church, this church, your church, help us to love each other so that we could be the family that you've called us to be, and we can go out into the world better equipped by your Holy Spirit to love others. In Jesus' name, amen.